But we have a special guest with us today. Uh, for some of us, he's not a new face. Uh, for some of you, he might be. Bill Kuhn is here with us all the way from St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. Uh, we've heard from him a few times this past year and we get to hear from him again. So please welcome with me, Bill. So good to be back with you. I trust uh, that Pastor Daryl is away on some well-deserved time with his family. And uh, so it is, that allows the opportunity for me to be able to be back with you. So I'm excited about that. And what a wonderful series the church has been exploring, the work of the Spirit, this idea of under the full sail, that idea of God's Spirit working in us and, and then filling us in a way that allows us to do the things he's called us to do. We're gonna talk about some of that uh, today. So let's uh, take a moment. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna spend some time exploring what God has for us in the Bible. So will you bow your heads with me? Father, as we move through our life, there's often a lot of noise. And as we come to this moment, we allow the quietness, the stillness, to remind us that you're here. And so God, now would you take a few words that reflect the scriptures and would you teach us so that we might learn more about what it means to be yours. So we give this moment to you. In your good name, amen. Well, hey, it's the middle of the summer. Are you having a good summer? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I've had a good summer. And it has, it has been wonderful. I've been able to get out of, out of the state of Minnesota for a little bit and spend some time with family. But it hasn't all been positive. Uh, back in April, late April, some wind came through our little town up in uh, west of the cities and blew out some final shakes on our home. And I've got a photo here that will kind of show you. Yeah, you can see there. Three panels got blown out of uh, that, that area above our garage. And so I want you to know that I went back and I looked and I have sent 38 emails. I have made 18 or so phone calls multiple text, I've scheduled multiple people to come to my house, and I am here to stand before you today and tell you that the work is not done. Something as simple as those vinyl shakes requires so much of our time and energy. Think, I've had over 50 touch points on just this project and it's still not done. If you go back a little farther in our year, we had someone slash tires on our car. It took a little while to kind of get some of the details in order, and we replaced all the tires of the car. The very next day, as that car was being driven, the radiator leaked, and that car overheated. So we actually had it towed right back to the garage, and they fixed the radiator. And about a week after that, the car, my son is driving it, and a truck backs into the car and totals it. 
Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> I had lunch with a friend this week, and I said to him, how are you doing? And he's, he, without hesitation, tired. I said, explain that. Tell me more. Well, he said, at work, I'm being asked to do more and more with less and less. Someone, is that familiar to anybody in the room? Or? Then he said, but when I go home, there's so much stuff that needs to get done, like gardening and yard work and repairs around the house. He said, that I feel, and he said, I get home from such a busy day at work, I don't feel like I have time or energy to apply myself to the needs at the home. So he said, I feel like I'm never getting any rest. Yeah, I get it. 50 touch points for three vinyl shakes and it's still not done. I'm gonna get through this. By the way, are there any contractors here? <laughs> I should have mentioned that, right? Sometimes in our journey, our natural life becomes so intense that we feel like we don't have time for our supernatural life. The Apostle Paul captures this a little bit in a passage we're gonna look at together where he says this, the days are evil. You know those kind of days? I'm talking about days where there's sorrow and grief and brokenness and hardship and trial and fear. Jesus said it this way, that there are enough worries for today, so don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough worries for today. The days are evil. And sometimes when I'm dealing with my days that are evil and all the frustrations that go on, my natural life is so intense that I don't have time to focus on the supernatural life. And realizing that I was going to have to stand here and talk about the work of the Spirit of God, months ago, I started ruminating on this. This like, this is my life. This stuff is, is busy. And using the metaphor of the series, my tendency, is it your tendency? My tendency is to grab the oars. Remember that? And I start rowing harder and faster to try to get ahead. We wonder, how does God and his spirit intersect with our crazy life at all? It's because of this that this series was begun, that Pastor Darrell has been teaching and sharing about what it means to come under the full sail of the spirit of God, how the spirit operates in our lives like the wind, propelling us forward, helping us to progress in our days that are sometimes evil. And this is a series to talk about how do we trim our sails so that we can capture all of the move of the Spirit of God that we can in our lives. Because the reality is we are facing exhausting headwinds. And so when I experience those headwinds, I grab the oars. I don't spend time trimming the sails and I just try to muscle through. 
Today I want to talk about a passage where the Apostle Paul encourages us that the Spirit of God is available to us in the midst of our exhausting headwinds. That when the days are evil, we are not alone. And that the Spirit of God is available to us in a very unique way. And what we're going to do as we move into this passage is I want you to think of this a little bit like a funnel. We're going to start at the wide picture, the image, and we're going to move ourselves down into not only a single chapter, not only a single verse, but a single word in the Bible. Big picture. The book that we're going to look at is in Ephesians chapter 1 or chapter 5, but let, us, let me help us understand some context. If you have your Bibles, tap or turn over to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul writes this book, and the book is, is divided into two sections, naturally. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 really deal with who we are and the blessings that we have as Christians. Chapter 1 of Ephesians opens in verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And now he's going to list all of the blessings that we have, that the Father has chosen us and predestined us out of his foreknowledge, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us by his blood. And then you get down to verse 13, and it says that the Holy Spirit is a seal. He's like the seal of approval over our lives, guaranteeing future blessings, our inheritance. And all of the verbs in chapters one, two, and three, all of them are past tense. There's only one command in all of chapters one, two, and three. Paul is writing about the blessings that we have as Christians, and it's things that God has already accomplished for us. But what happens when we come to chapter four, now as we funnel down into chapter four, verse one, now something changes. In chapter four, five, and six, the apostle Paul is no longer talking about past blessings and how God has been at work. He's talking about our lives today. How are we to live today? So look at chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And the word live a life is actually the word to walk. We'll see that here in a couple verses. Paul says, you know what? God has blessed you. And now what the call is, is to walk in a way, to live in a way consistent with those blessings. If you were to get a job at Chick-fil-A, they would train you about the values and the things that are important to them and the guiding principles of their business. And then they would put a uniform on you and they'd say, now while you're wearing the uniform, this is how you behave. This is how you conduct yourself. And while you're wearing the Chick-fil-A uniform, do not behave like you would if you were a McDonald's employee. <laughs> I want you to know that no one sent me a list of approved restaurants 
that I could make that comment, so I just picked on McDonald's. Do we have any McDonald's employees? Hey, listen, if you work at McDonald's and you put on the McDonald's uniform, don't behave in a way consistent with Chick-fil-A employees either, right? In other words, when you wear the uniform, behave in a, a special place or a special way. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in chapter four, five, and six. He's saying, look, I just outlined for you all the things that are yours. You have been clothed with Christ. Now behave in a way that matches your uniform. Walk a certain way. That's what he's telling us to do in chapters four, five, and six. Unlike chapters one, two, and three, where you find one imperative, one command, in chapter two, by the way. In contrast to that, when we get to chapter four, you know what Paul does? In four, five, and six, he gives us 40 different commands. He is definitely changing his tone and his posture. We've done, dealt with the blessings and how God has worked in our lives. Now, let's demonstrate that in the way that we behave. Walk a certain way, friends. Now look at chapter five, verse one. Chapter five, verse one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, verse two, and walk in the way of love. You are dearly loved children, now walk in the way of love. And there's that word again, the word walk. Walk in the way of love. Walk in a way just as you have been loved. Now look down at verse 15. Ephesians five, verse 15. Here in the middle of all these commands of here's how you're to behave, here's what it's supposed to look like when you put on the uniform, Paul says this. Be careful, very careful then, how you live or how you walk, right? There's that word again. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because here it is, what? The days are evil. The vinyl shakes get blown down, <laughs> right? The tires get slashed. Sorrow happens, pain happens, hardship happens. The days are evil, so be careful how you walk. And then it says, make the most of every opportunity, which really means buy back the time. Pay attention to your clock and how you use your days because there's only a limited number of them and some of them are evil. And then in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish. The days are evil, don't be foolish now. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Hmm. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Here in this passage, Paul, his ideas are tumbling one after the other, right? Catch that sense, right? Be careful how you walk. Make the most of your time. The days are evil. 
Pay attention to God's will. Don't do things that are foolish. And then he has this contrast. Paul presents a contrast. You see, people respond differently to the evil of the days. Can we be honest about it for a moment? That when life has trials, when there is an exhausting headwind facing us and we're trying to move through the days, in those moments, people respond differently to those, that headwind. And one of the ways people respond is happy hours. Here in the text, verse 18, Paul's thinking about the days that are evil. Don't be foolish. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Knowing that the days are evil, knowing that there's pain and misery and suffering in our world, some people turn to a drink to wash away the sorrow let me remind us of a few things here, just because it's in the text. Can I remind us that the Bible is not against alcoholic drinks, but the Bible is against drunkenness and addiction and the things that lead to debauchery, which is a, like a, you know, an elite word, a special word for this. It means to lose control. The reason the Bible is against drunkenness is because it causes people to lose control. Anytime you've seen a drunk person with a lampshade on their head, they have lost control. I had a coworker who used to drink a lot, and, and he was a small, diminutive person. But when he would drink, he was so mean. And he told me the story of picking fights with people much bigger than him just because he could. I know what you're thinking. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> you're the pastor. You're supposed to say those things, right? But I want you to know my family, this idea of drunkenness has permeated my family. Not my immediate family, but my extended family. And I've seen the heartache of it, of drunkenness. And the escapism that says life is hard, there's a, an exhausting headwind, the vinyl shakes don't stay up. The car tires get slashed. And because of that, I need something different. I need to escape. And when that occurs, when the drunkenness, and we could insert drugs or a number of items of, that lead to escapism idea, ideas, when that occurs, we say things like we apologize. Oh, so sorry, he doesn't normally act that way. Or we might say something like this, when there's that severe personality shift because of drunkenness, we say things like, she is under the influence. Which brings us to the contrast. For us, there is another way to approach the evil of the days. It's here in the text. It says, instead of drunkenness, how about the filling of the Spirit of God? How about a supernatural resource that would influence your life? 
What does it mean when the Apostle Paul, now we've, we've done in our funnel, we've looked at the whole book of Ephesians, we've gone down to Ephesians chapter four, chapter five, now we're on a verse, now we're looking at a word. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And I have heard so many people speak on this, or I've read books about it, and there is sometimes confusion around what it means. So let me describe for you what the word means. The word to fill was used three ways in the time in which it was written. The first way is this. It means to create pressure. It was used to describe the wind billowing the sails on a ship, providing the impetus to move the vessel forward across the water. This is the image that is being used in this series of messages. The Spirit of God fills and allows breath to take place and moves forward the vessel on the water, even when there's a strong headwind. The second idea used of the word fill is to permeate. It's the idea of spicing food to add flavor, to fill it with flavor. Isn't that interesting? Spirit of God not only fills us to move us, to fill the sails and move us in the midst of headwinds, but the Spirit of God provides a flavor to our life. The Spirit of God fills the believer in such a way that it presents a savor, savory flavor in our world. The third way in which, and the primary way in which the New Testament uses the idea of filling is to dominate. We still use this idea today, don't we? This idea of to dominate or to take control, to be under the influence positively in the Bible, there's the reference to things like being filled with wonder and amazement and compassion and being filled with wisdom, being filled with joy. It means that those emotions have taken over. They're dominating. They're influencing the person and the person's impulse. There's the negative feeling like being filled with jealousy or evil or greed Acts chapter 5 actually talks about being filled with Satan. Negative. Filling. When the Bible in the New Testament, filled with the Spirit, is used ten times. Ten times. The Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit. To be dominated by the Spirit. To be influenced by the Spirit. Nine of those times are on the pen of Luke. Three in the Gospel of Luke and six in the book of Acts. The only time that the idea of the filling of the Spirit occurs in the Bible outside of a story, a narrative where it's describing something is here in our text in Ephesians. To be filled with the Spirit. This is the only teaching passage on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, to 
have the Spirit giving us wind to move our sails and move our boat forward or to spice, to give spice and flavor to our lives certainly means that. But the most consistent use is the idea of the Spirit of God dominating, the influencing us. Now, I'm still on the word to fill. It's a single word. It's a verb. Let me tell you the four ideas that are referenced in this verb. Here's the first one. The filling of the Spirit is the normal life. It's the normal life. You say, how do you get that out of this text? Well, here's how I get it. It's in the plural. Paul is saying, instead of being drunk with wine, everyone should be filled with the Spirit. It's not, now we understand that, everyone. Now, I'm originally from Ohio. Could you detect my accent? I had someone just in the last couple weeks say to me, you're not from Minnesota, are you? No, I'm from Ohio. Yeah, oh, from the South. <laughs> no, I have cousins from the South. They're from Georgia. They speak differently than I do. But I work with a colleague who's from the South, and sometimes he'll say, y'all. Right? Now, I did not know this, so, and maybe you don't either, so I'm just clarifying for, our, for all of us here. This is an English lex- lesson. Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. <laughs> okay? Clarify. I got an amen on that one. Thank you. So here you, here, so here you go. Instead of drunkenness, all y'all should be filled with spirit. It's normal. Now, please understand, I get it, but I want, I'm clarifying some things for us today, okay? There are not Christians and ultra-Christians. Let me explain. I've been a pastor for over 25 years. I remember speaking on the passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah is discouraged, he's despondent, he escapes, and I'd shared a message about that. Later that week, a lady stops by my office. And she said, Pastor, I just want you to know you shouldn't be talking about depression because you don't know anything about that because you're a pastor. Right? We still have some of those ideas, right? That, that there's Christians who gather for worship And then there's the mega-Christians, the ultra-Christians, like the pastors and the missionaries and the evangelists and the people who write books and speak at seminars. Those people are like, they're different than the rest of us. And then, not only that, but then, then when we get here, that is, when we gather for worship, I, know, I, I mean, some of you, I don't know, some of you raised your hands while we were singing. 
What's going on with that? Here's what we do. We look at one person's expression of the Spirit's work, and we compare ours to that. And we do that in two ways. Either I don't have the same expression as that person, so I, I need more. I, I'm deficient. I'm not good enough. Or, this happens, I know my expression of worship, and it's better than everybody else's. For the early church had that problem. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. What's the problem? There are spiritual gifts in the church, and some people, that gift is better than that gift. And there becomes a tiered approach, expression to Christianity. Alter Christians and the rest of us. So can I just encourage us, don't confuse the outward expression of faith with the inner devotion of faith. The filling of the Spirit is for all you all. No exceptions. But it will not look the same in every person's life. Can we get that? Let me just, let me go one step further. Let me just remind you. There are two great Heroes of the faith in the Bible. King David and John the Baptist. Greatest man ever walked the earth. And neither of them did a miracle. That should tell us something. There's only one burning bush and God doesn't work the same in every person's life. So your expression of the filling of the Spirit might look different than someone else's expression of the filling of the Spirit. But when we talk about the filling of the Spirit, it is not exclusive for certain groups of people. It's for everybody. Second idea. It's a daily life. Present tense verb. Ongoing, like regular, everyday, continuous influence on our lives. Days are evil. We need God every day to give us strength and peace and hope and here's one for you. <coughs> Excuse me. God doesn't take away the evil days. Shock, right? Like, like sometimes we become a Christian. Hey, listen, let me say it differently. Sometimes when we present Christianity, we say it in such a way as if to say, when you become a Christian, everything gets better. There are no evil days anymore. There are no vinyl shakes that come down off the front of your house. God isn't going to do that. But the days may be evil. But there is a daily, a daily spirit available to you. It's a normal life. All y'all. It's a daily life. Number three. It's the obedient life, obedient life. This verb is in the imperative. It is a command. 
The filling of the Spirit is a command. Be filled. This filling of the Spirit is the key to the rest of the 39 commands in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Tucked right in the middle of all the things that we're to do. Love your neighbor, forgiveness, encourage one another, use your words properly, all of those things. In the middle of all of that, tucked right in the middle, be filled with the Spirit. A command. And when we get this command right, it gives us the strength to do the other commands. Fourth, it's a surrendered life. Fascinating, when Paul writes this, instead, be filled with the Spirit, he writes it in a passive voice. It's a surrendered life. This is a, an unpopular word, right? Surrender. We live in the day of the triumphant self, Right? The triumphant self, when it's about listening to your inner voice and following your passion and all of those what A.W. Tozer refers to as the self-sins, self-preoccupied, self-absorbed. This is the surrendered life of being receptive to God's work in our lives in the present moment in which we live. Remember that old popular hymn, I Surrender All? And we don't sing that one very much anymore, maybe for good reason, I don't know. I mean, now, I th you know, we could change, I mean, if we wanna sing it, it's, it's a nice melody, and some of you know it, I mean, we could change it, right? Like, I surrender some. It doesn't have this, quite the same ring, does it? Or I surrender what I want to surrender. There's something about surrender that says, I give up resistance. I give up my rights. Holy Spirit, I am receptive to you. Do you want the Spirit's influence? If so, it's gonna be a surrendered life. Now, you may be asking yourself, I don't know what it looks like if the Spirit fills me. I mean, is it gonna, am I gonna be quiet? Am I gonna be loud? Am I gonna shout? Am I gonna start inviting everybody to church? Am I gonna laugh? What is it gonna be like if I am filled with the Spirit? I'm glad you asked and Paul anticipated your questions. Ephesians 5, 19 through 21 tells us now what the filling of the Spirit looks like. Instead, I'm back in verse 18, instead be filled with the Spirit. Now he's gonna explain that. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, it's all one sentence. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Five verbs. I'm gonna divide it into three points quickly. Number one, there's gonna be joy. How do I know what's the expression of when I'm filled with the Spirit of God? Does God take away all the hardship? No. Here's what he does. He makes melody. There's a song. There's a song. We speak 
and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. And we sing from our heart and praise God that some of you, the song is in the heart because it's, it might be a joyful noise. It's not necessarily a pleasant noise. So make melody in your heart. I'm okay with that. Years ago, there was a theologian, Karl Barth. This is, this is probably worth writing down. Karl Barth said that for Christians, in the face of all the trials of life, when you and I experience joy, it is, quote, a defiant nevertheless in our world. When you and I step forward in a receptive mode of surrender and say, God, by your spirit, fill us, fill me, God, and there is joy then that happens. It is a defiant nevertheless to the headwinds of life. I will be joyful and rejoice even in the midst of all that's happening. The, the pain doesn't go away, the suffering doesn't go away, the hardship doesn't go away, but my attitude is different. Let me see if I can capture this knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength from Nehemiah 8.10. This is how, how it works now. Life is challenging. There's a strong headwind. We surrender to the Spirit. God, help me. God's Spirit fills our sails, and songs of joy emerge as we realize in our surrender that God is enough, and that song of joy becomes our persevering strength in our challenge. A defiant, nevertheless. Number two, gratitude. Giving thanks to God. We live in a society that is critical. We sometimes reward the complainer who feels like life is one big injustice that has been done to them. They deserve more. And gratitude says, in this moment, what I have, even if it's just simply breath, is a gift from God. And the filling of the Spirit reminds us of that. The Spirit of God in us reminds us, oh yeah, the things I have that are eternal and lasting and that, that all of the trials of life cannot take away, the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God and the friendships that we have, those things which are eternal are gifts from God and I can be thankful. And if you're like me, I'm like, okay, I can dig joy, and I can understand gratitude, but the last one is submission. <laughs> Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. To be filled with the Spirit is to be humbled in a receptive, passive mode. Say, God, I can submit to others. It's valuing other people as Christ did and died for them. It's just not a popular message today. It's a biblical message, just not a popular one. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? I don't know. Maybe your hands are raised. Maybe they're not raised. Maybe you're quiet. Maybe you're loud. Maybe you laugh. Maybe you don't. Maybe you stand. Maybe you sit. I don't know. Here's what I know. It, you're going to have joy. You're going to be grateful. And you're willing to submit to others. This, my friends, is the high call. This is what Paul says when he says, listen, 
You've been blessed with all these blessings. Now live according to, put the uniform on and behave according to the uniform. Because God isn't taking away the challenges. And the Christian life is not about escapism. It's about living differently in the middle of those challenges. So you might, let's just close here. How do I experience the filling of the Spirit? You know, we live in a world where everyone's trying to answer the questions about spirituality. Like, where do I go? How do, how do I become a spiritual person? And they say, well, they point to a book. You read that book. Or you go to this seminar, or you listen to this podcast, and everybody wants to tell you, I'm gonna answer the question. Do you know how to experience the filling of the Spirit? I'm gonna distill it down to two words. Here they are. I can't. It's actually in our surrender that we find the strength of the Spirit of God. It's when we say, I can't do this. So this week, my challenge to you is simple. When those challenges, when that exhausting headwind approaches your journey, and you're looking at you know, blank spaces on the, above your garage, or slashed tires, or whatever it is for you, whatever those challenges are, hardships are, and you go, man, I'm gonna grab my oars, and I'm gonna row, no, 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 no. God, I that simple prayer, we experience the filling of the Spirit that is the normal, daily, obedient, surrendered life. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close. One more item before we dismiss. When you were a child, if you were like me, Sometimes in my yard, we'd run around and we'd play cops and robbers. And uh, there is a sign for I can't. There is a posture that is universal. I mean, when I say universal, I mean all over the world, there is a sign, a posture for saying I can't. It's a posture of vulnerability. It's a posture of exposure. But if you're here today, you walked in, and you've got the headwinds are coming at you, and you go, man, I am just exhausted because of life. Might it be that in just this moment when I'm gonna pray for us, that you might assume the posture of surrender? posture of surrender that's universal is two hands up. Cops and robbers. When the cops find the robbers, what do they say? Surrender. So I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to invite you to do the same. In this moment, it doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks or says or does. My question is, what are you going to do? And if you are right now hungry for the filling of the Spirit, to know the joy, the gratitude, the submissive Spirit, would you assume the posture? 
the universal posture of surrender. God, I can't. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, would you graciously see the response, not just the physical response, but the response of the soul to you and what you're doing as people surrender to you. And in that surrender, when they say, I can't, God, hear it as an invitation for you to come and fill and come and renew and come and give strength. Let there be joy, gratitude, and submissiveness as we surrender to you. May your spirit change our thoughts and our impulses and our desires to align with you, even in the face of strong headwinds. Bless us now in your good name as we surrender before you. Amen. Now maybe this is not the end of your prayer time. There are people that are gonna come. They're gonna be available to pray with you. I encourage you to take advantage of that, to feel free to come forward and have others join you in your surrender. God bless you and have a great weekend.